Well, hello, and welcome to Rocky's Bacchus. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Bob, Charlene, you want to say hi to my mom? Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today on Rocky's Bacchus, we're doing things a little bit differently. Uh, rather than uh, have somebody uh, with directly talk about their military experience, we're going to go around and meet somebody, as Sesame Street says, somebody in your neighborhood. So for that, we have Bob Moneypenny, and we also have Charlene Moneypenny, who might step in and co-host and uh, pour us a couple drinks here and there. So uh, I don't usually work from notes, Bob, but uh, on this case, I couldn't remember everything about you. Um, you're sort of like a living uh, library book. Notice I didn't say living fossil. So <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're good to go here. Uh, so Bob Moneypenny, who's well-known in the Petawawa and the military community at large, was born 25th of September, 1941. During that time, a Japanese aircraft carrier uh, was commissioned. The Brooklyn Dodgers won their first pennant in 21 years. And I know this is near and dear to your heart, uh, Bob. Pope Pius XII was head of the Catholic Church. <laughs> so, anything else really important that day happened other than your birth? I don't think so. Well, you were born in, in Bangor, you said which is in the county down in Northern Ireland. And uh, that's also a fairly historic place. Well, all of Ireland's fairly historic, I'd imagine. Pretty well, yeah. yeah. But Bangor, uh, General Eisenhower addressed uh, Allied troops there prior to D-Day. And uh, it also has a connection with the Troubles, of course, uh, with the first uh, Royal Ulster Constabulary woman killed on duty by the uh, Ulster U- UVF, which is Ulster... Ulster Defence Force. Defence Force, yeah. Um, anything to... Th- oh, and it also had a largely Protestant majority. And you come from a Catholic home, do you not? No, I come from a Protestant home. Oh, dear. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't driving the Catholics or the Protestants out there. No. All right. So what do you, what do you want to add to your uh, little introduction there? Uh, just that uh, we, I was born during the war. And uh, the reason I was in Bangor was because my mom... Uh, got married to my dad. My dad immediately went to war <clears throat> with the RAF in uh, North Africa. And so we moved to Bangor with an aunt because my mom at that time did not have a home in Belfast. Uh, when my dad came home from the war in '45, we took up residence in, in Belfast, um, pretty close to the shipyards. As a matter of fact, right across the street, from our street uh, was the entrance to Queen's Road, which took you down to the shipyard. And it was an industrial area. It was a slum area. Rough part of town. It was. It was. uh, Yeah, I saw my first fight when I was probably around four. There was a pub at the head of our street, and a young man and his father were fighting. Father got knocked down, and the young man put the boots to his head. To his father? To his father. That's the type of street it was. Jesus. and is That's that how you, close it was to the docks. Is that where you got into your first scrap as well? No, I didn't. I didn't get into it. I've never had a scrap until I, I went joined Sea Cadets. Because <laughs> you have a reputation as a bit of a hard-nosed scrapper. Well, that's my old days. <laughs> and we've almost forgot since it's been so long since I had somebody in the house taping. We might as well do a toast. We don't have any Irish here for you, but we do have some Canadian whiskey that Michelle and Chief Aho bought for me. So I haven't tried it yet. So, Slanja. Okay. Slanja. 
Langevin. Langevin, yeah, it's for that's the Scottish Ulster Scots toast. Mm. The oh. Ulster Scots. Yeah. Well, that's not bad. It's got a little sting to it. Yeah. Try with water. Mm. Try a drop of water in there if you want. Sherry Baudry, who also doesn't like whiskey, was over here this weekend, and she tasted whiskey, and she discovered she likes whiskey. <laughs> so you said, the Chief, give you that? Yeah. Well, I went down there, me and uh, Derek, Neary, oh, okay. Okay. Oh, last week, and Michelle picked, uh, she picked up the maple stuff and uh, the rye and a bunch of maple and rum flavorings for ice cream and pancakes and whatnot. I've eaten a pint of ice cream already. <laughs> All right. Where are we now? So you were, you uh, moved to Dublin. And wh- why did you guys move no, to moved, Dublin? Moved to Belfast. Or Belfast, sorry. Um, after the war, I guess, it was a, there was a lot of men out of work. So <clears throat> my dad got a job in Belfast, so that's why. I think predominantly uh, my parents were really looking for where he could settle after the war. <clears throat> and my mom's, uh, my mom lived with her grandmother for a while after, probably since a couple of years after I was born. And they lived just across the street. So her grandmother was able to get her a, a council house. Okay fairly close to them on Rotterdam Street. And the council houses, are they sort of like... Uh, Corporation houses that are owned by the city. So it would be like similar to a welfare house? Yeah, like? pretty well. Okay. Not, yeah, I guess you could say that. Assisted housing, I guess you could So it, it would be cheap cheap rent kind of thing. Right. All right. Um, that, that street is no longer there. Uh, Rotterdam? <laughs> yeah, it, it, I should say that Rotterdam Street is no longer there. Oh, there no, is a Rotterdam no. Street now, but right. it's... Uh, it's quite well built up. Yeah, and it's quite, it's quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was surprised. I was looking at prices and stuff to live there, and it's quite expensive to live yeah, there. So yeah. it's no no longer a um, tenant housing. No, well. for sure, for sure. What do you remember uh, growing up in Ireland? What I remember growing up in Ireland—that's a good question. I remember having a great time. I had two good friends, and we used to, uh, like I said, the shipyard was close by. We used to do uh, a lot of scavenging in the scrap piles for things like uh, ball bearings, ball bearing wheels to make carts out of and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I remember we used to take buses to the other side of the city, to the west side, um, where we lived is is what's called East Belfast, divided by the Lagan River. On the other side of the river, it's County Antrim. So we used to take um, buses out as far as Carrickfergus, and uh, as far as what Carrickfergus. It's a a, a sea a seaport town okay. on Belfast Lock, but it has a castle there, Carrickfergus Castle. And in those days, you you could go and play in the castle and have a great time. Um, it was a long way to go, but nobody, you know, there was no worries about ch- children getting absconded with them. Right. Um, so we'd do that. We'd go to the Cave Hill area, which is, again, in Belfast, and climb climb in the hills. And 
Have a good time. And Antrim Road didn't later on. I don't know if you know this or not. Did it, did not have a major role in the troubles. Like was it not sort of Catholic and Protestant divided as well? Yeah, it still is. Yeah, but that's largely uh, been uh, in the in the past now. Or there's still it's, a lot. Of I think it's, it's it's showing its ugly head again um, from both sides. When we lived there, my dad was a member of the Orange Lodge. Right? Mm. And as a matter of fact, the president of whatever district, and I can't remember whatever district he was president of, but I've, I have photos of us marching across the Queen's Bridge, him, you know, in the in, command, in the in command position, wearing a hat and raincoat, and I'm just directly in front of him with a rolled up bundle under my arm. <clears throat> What was the bundle of? Just a uh, raincoat, stuff like that, okay. I guess. Yeah. I, I can't, honestly can't remember. I, I presume it would be a raincoat because yeah. I was wearing a blazer. Blazer. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, you know, when, you, when we came to Canada, I think it was a shock for him that when <laughs> the first, the first uh, Sunday we were in Medicine Hat, we went to an Anglican church. Only it was high Anglican. In Medicine Hat, and I don't know how that happened. So High Anglican is very close to Catholic, right? And 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 we got halfway through the service, and let's go. Was he was he very? Were your parents both very religious? No, I don't believe so. I mean, they went to church, but I they were not devout, devoutly religious people. Well, I don't. I don't think my maybe my sister might disagree with me. Uh, she's lived with them longer than I did. So, right. well, uh, your dad was quite politically active. I take it. Not, not politically active. No. Um, like the Orange Lodge is, is, is sort of in Ireland. If you're in East Belfast and you're Protestant, you sort of migrate to it, and I think that's what he did. Okay. Um. My first wife uh, was Catholic, and my second wife is is also Catholic. And uh, I remember my dad saying once, you know, after I got married the first time, and and uh, he said, you know, this is stupid. And the division between the Catholics and the Protestants. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And are you practicing? We I don't think we introduced you. Oh yes, we did. Charlene, part-time bartender yes. and co-host. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you are you practicing Catholic at all? Or? Uh, no, I haven't been for a number of years. Neither one of you practice. No. Is it just because of a lot, lack of belief, or I don't believe in organized religion. Okay. Do you you believe there's some sort of higher power? Or? I do, and I don't. You know what I mean? I have my days. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have any of those days. I'm pretty convinced that it's not out there. Yeah, no. If there is, he's got a lot of, I, or I'm, she has a lot of explaining to do. Yeah, I, I lean more towards you. Uh, than, um, you know, when people start quoting the Bible, mm-hmm. I always say it's a book written by men. Yeah, and we didn't like women it, much. Exactly, it's been written by men. It's been translated so many times that, um, what's it worth? Yeah, I, I like I like the argument about the King James Bible being the most accurate Bible because uh, they had all these scholars working on it. Well, they may have had a bunch of scholars working on it, but they didn't have any of the original 
Yeah, yeah. 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 I should get a minister in here sometime. <laughs> There'd be fisticuffs. Oh, so how how did you end up in Medicine Hat rather than the United States of America? I think I sent you a photo of my dad standing alongside a little van. Yeah, uh, he worked for the Ormo Bakery as a as a bread salesman. When he, when he first came back from the war, he he was a driver for he was a, an MSC what we would call an MSC op in the Air Force. He drove ambulances and, uh, you know, whatever had to be driven. So when he came back <clears throat> back from the war, he first worked um, driving for a hardware store just on Ann Street, just, just over the Queen's Bridge from us. And later on, he got this uh, job as a bread salesman because it was, it was a better job, more, more pay, I guess. So he delivered out to West, West Belfast, which is a, a better area than where we lived in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and one day he was talking to, I guess he had he at first had wanted to go to Australia, but they, their, they, their quotas were, were for immigrants were full. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was out uh, delivering bread and talked to a customer. And her last name was Marks. I know that because... The guy that sponsored us, his last name was Marks, and and, and Billy Marks was this, Jack Marks was uh, the the son of this lady. Anyway, my dad happened to mention while they were delivering bread because he was a very sociable guy. He just when people would come to the van get their bread and buns or whatever, but uh, he would also chat with them. And I, I know this. I'll tell you why later. Um, so. He mentioned to this lady that he would like to go to Canada, but in those days you needed a sponsor, and the sponsor's responsibility was to ensure that you had a place to live when you got here. Yeah. Ensure you had a job uh, when you got here. Yeah. And if you didn't, they were responsible for shipping you the hell back to where you came from. Yeah, it was the same with my grandparents when they yeah, came over. Like yeah, like completely different from what it is today. And and the emphasis then was on if you want to stay here, you work. Yeah, and I fully agree with that. Um, so anyway, this lady said, "My son lives in Canada. He'll sponsor you, just like that, just like that." And, and you, you never to, met her. N- I never met her. I, my, I mean, my dad delivered bread to her, but right, that was all. Uh, so we ended up <laughs> going to Canada. In uh, Medicine we, Hat. Medicine Hat. And that's where Jack Marks lived. And, and we, when we got there, Jack Marks uh, picked us up at the railway station. My mom was shocked when we got to the railway station. Well, there could have been much there at that time. Oh, Jesus. No, it was a small city. I think it was around, I, I think the population was around 19 or 20,000. Oh, it got big already. Yeah, but it was, you know, it, but, you know. It wasn't Dublin or Belfast. Or, no. Yeah. And, and I remember saying, her saying to Dad, Jack, what did you get me into? <laughs> yeah. So, so what did he end up doing for work there? He ended up, and and this is <clears throat> when we, and we, Jack Marks had arranged for us to stay with a family, and I I honestly can't remember their names. I think it was Seeps, but I'm not 
sure. Um, so this guy put us up in a very, they had a very small house to start with and a couple of kids and we ended up with them. And we lived with them for quite a few weeks. Was there, was there any prejudice against Irish at that time? No, not, uh, not in medicine. I'll, I'll, I think I can speak to that a little bit later as far as me going to school. Um, but uh, this uh, gentleman we lived with, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name just offhand. Um, the person behind him was named Ruff, R-U-F-F. Yeah. And he owned a garage. So that's where my dad worked, went to work. And he was changing tires, doing all the non-qualified mechanics. Uh, apprentice kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And... <clears throat> and so that's what we that's what he did for the first couple of years we were there. My mom started to work in the pottery uh, in medicine hut. There was a a great pottery I forget the name of it, uh, but they made cups for all over the place. Because <laughs> I always remember being in NDMC when they had these big heavy china cups with the green rim with a green rim around them. Yeah. And turning the cup over made it in a medicine hat. You know what I mean? So, so it was it was really hardy cafeteria style uh, pottery. And so my mom worked there. And this was what year? Um, we moved to Canada in '53. So, starting in '53, probably we got it. Got we we arrived in Quebec City April of '53, uh, and arrived in Medicine Hat probably late April '53. And arrived in Medicine Hat after four days on a train. Um, so that would be probably the fall of 53 that we started there. And you were about 16 years old at this time? No, no. Oh, no, you left Ireland at 11, at age yeah, 11. Yeah, So. Yeah. And I was a scholar. A scholar? A scholar. I know, it, I, know I was a scholar because it says in the ship's manifest, I was a scholar. So was my sister, <laughs> a scholar. So a scholar in those days was, was anyone that was going to school, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> you weren't president of the no, university no. at 11. <laughs> You're a just, smart man, and, and, I didn't and, you that right. And it's funny, I only found this out recently because we fa- we've done a lot of family history research over the years because I, I never met my grandfather or his family at all. Yeah. So, and that was one of the things when I, when I found the, uh, the manifest for the, the uh, RMS Franconia was that I was listed as a scholar and so was my sister. Mm. So, did you do any work yourself in, uh, in Medicine Hat? Um, just like summer, summer jobs for after, during school. Working with farmers or? Um, I worked with AGT, uh, government telephones one yeah. summer. Putting in cable? Uh, no. Um, at one time, the the phone numbers were just five numbers. Right. Right? So then they come out with um, the prefixes, and the prefix for medicine hat was Jackson, J-A. So AGT hired a bunch of rover scouts or scouts to go around and uh, take the center parts of the dial phone out, put new cards in there which said Jackson. Okay. Whatever. And that's what I did for one summer. It paid really well. I forget what the, what it was, but I know it paid really well for, yeah. for kids. Well, was it 
somewhere around two bucks, or was that oh, pretty gosh. high? I honestly can't remember. Couldn't, but I know guess. compared to what was what students normally got, it was pretty good money. Well, I remember my first rig. I was eighteen <clears> years old, and my first rig paid eleven and a quarter for a floor yeah. hand, a roughneck, which was filthy good money. Yeah, you know, I yeah. think a minimum wage was somewhere around a buck ten or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> And of course, I I I'm, I was like the uh, the bumper sticker you see out there. Please, God, grant me another oil broom, and I promise not to piss it all away this time. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember. I'll, I'll get to your your story. We'll talk about me for a minute. <laughs> I don't care if it's all about you, Bob. <laughs> I was I was spinning rods. I don't care either. <laughs> I was spinning rods into the into the well. I worked, I worked service rigs, not uh, drilling rigs, and. Uh, I spun, my hair was long, and Oli, our tool push, was always saying, cut your hair. Or else. Or, or tie it back. <laughs> the or else he never mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm spinning the sucker rod in, and somehow I got some of my hair wrapped up in the rod. So I screamed, don't lower it. <laughs> and Oli comes over, and he cuts it out, cuts it off, leave this big chunk, chunk off my head. Yeah. And uh, I was pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> but later on I would have learned from that <laughs> yeah well I did learn from that well I don't know how much I learned because Oli goes do you really want to be doing this job when you're my age 50 years old and I thought no I'm wet I'm cold I'm miserable what I'm going to do is join the army where I was wet and cold, cold and miserable, and miserable all the time money. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I didn't learn that much anyway, Bob. <laughs> which is which is a good segue into you joining the military you must have got in at what 17 um, it, it's it's one of those things that um, the military had a, um, at that time, a Navy, I should say, the RCN, Royal Canadian Navy, had what they called a technical apprentice plan. So I applied to write the technical apprentice plan. How, how did you, how did it end up Navy, though, for Medicine Hat? Oh, Navy for Medicine Hat. <laughs> I started in Sea Cadets. Like, what really, what really, made me join or made me want to join the Navy was when I was in, in probably the first year of high school, grade 10, I read a book called Saints, Devils, and Ordinary Seamen. And it was all about the Corvettes during World War II. Yeah. And it was written by a guy called Ian Pugsley. I remember this because it, it had a significant effect on my life. When I read it, um, I thought, Jesus, that, that sounds adventurous. I'd like to do that. Um, and then they started Sea Cadets in Medicine Hat, and the guys that were the guys that were Sea Cadet officers, they weren't like today, where you might have a Sea Cadet officer that never was in the Navy. These guys were Corvette sailors. Yeah, so they and, had experience, and they had experience. And right, on, and you know, that was what ten years after the war. Mm-hmm. So they had a great influence on me as well as this book. Okay. And it's funny, I was able to buy a copy of the book later on. I'll show it to you but next time you're going to our house. I'll yep. show it to you. And there's a letter in it from the author, Ian Pugsley, to the minister of then National Defense. Saying? Saying, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to do this, because what he did, he reverted from officer to other ranks. So he goes in the mess decks with the sailors. Ah, uh, yeah. And uh, and he hoped, and, and the other thing was, he said, "I hope the book lives up to its its, its worth." Okay, so, you know? Yeah. And so you joined as a medic? No, I, I, I yeah, I did. I, I shouldn't say formally joined. I think 
I went to Naden the summer of '58. Uh, Where to Nate? Naden. Okay. Where's, uh, where's Naden? Naden is Esquimalt. HMCS Naden okay. was in Esquimalt, and that was the, the third part of the technical apprentice thing. I think it was, and I, and looking back at it, I must have been enrolled as a Class B reservist to do this. But it's so goddamn long ago, I can't remember. <clears throat> um, I do know that towards the end of that process, and we were examined by medics, or medical assistants, as they called them, and the guy said, read the chart. And I read the chart, what I could see, you know. And it was just, well, you're failed technical apprentice. You're just, your vision's not good not enough. enough, yeah. And this is after writing, I think, three examinations because they, they allowed, I think it was 3,500 people to write the examination, 350 people to write the second one, and then the, the third was, was screening. And during the screening, I went to the Colonel Belcher Hospital in, in uh, Calgary and, <laughs> and had an ophthalmologist check my eyes, and that's when they first started wearing glasses. So I would have thought, this is the ideal time to yeah. tell me that you're not qualified. <laughs> but it didn't work that way in those days, I guess. Anyway, so sent home and told if I wanted to reach, if I wanted, I could apply for uh, the Navy once I turned 17 with my father's permission. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I got the forms in January. Got my dad to sign them, and he said, "He said, are you absolutely sure this is what you want to do?'" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah." So he signed them, and, and off he, I went. Your, your father served as what during the war? An, an Air Force uh, MSE. Okay. He he was a jolly. My dad was had a great personality. When I took over as CEO of the field hospital, for example, the Surgeon General uh, that he the Surgeon General was. Night, and certain generals said to my dad, "Hi, I'm Admiral So and So," and my dad said, "I'm Jack Moneypenny. I was an LAC in the Air Force." <laughs> <laughs> and they both started laughing, and they got on really well. I mean, you know, just my he just—he was a very sociable person. Well, you're not exactly, as I mentioned to you before, a wallflower. Yeah. You, you Can't afford to be. You picked it not up. with you guys around. <laughs> well, you definitely picked up your gift of gab somewhere, whether it's from your father or not. Um, so you ended up joining the Navy. Yeah. Why the hell you joined the Navy, I don't know. But you did. So when, when, did, when did you end up uh, getting into the judo? Oh, the judo was... Probably my, I think, probably around 1960. Um, this guy called Perry Teal, T E A L E. He was a director of uh, music at CBC Halifax, whatever that, you know, at that time. Uh, started a judo club at, at the Staticona Gymnasium. So I joined there. <clears throat> Just with the idea of fitness more than anything else. Right. And progressed really well. Did you compete in any major competitions? Uh, or? I, well, I, in Nova Scotia, I won black belt uh, uh, 
um, in my weight class, I think a couple of years running. Um, what was your weight class? Uh, at that time, it was 120 pounds <laughs> under. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was, I was, we've been watching judo the last couple of days. I was saying to Shireen that the ones, the, the ones that are winning are the ones that can do left-handed throws because if you're fighting right-handed, your opponent has probably never practiced falling from a left-handed throw or getting yeah. oriented from a left-handed throw. And that's what I used to do all the time. So, but, um, so is this a good way of getting time off work, traveling around the country? And uh, no, because it was all done on weekends. So oh. <laughs> you know, wherever you went, you went. So it's not and like the hockey player then. Like for me, it was always in the Maritimes. Uh, the one sh- I, I uh, fought at the CNE two years, two years in a row, but that was later on. And the uh, CNE being Canadian National Exhibition, right? And that that picture I showed you of the judo throw, mm-hmm. that was me going down. That was not me throwing. Oh. <laughs> so. Well, you look good in the picture. <laughs> yeah, so that was I me thought going you were down. kicking out. Yeah, that was the last time I fought because uh, after that, you know, just I went back to ships again on the East Coast and, um, and then over to Germany. And you also, you served on the, you served on the Bonaventure? Yeah, twice. So tell us about Bonaventure because most people won't know anything about it. Oh. She was a CVL. Uh, uh, CVL being what? Uh, light aircraft carrier. Right. She was originally uh, put laid down, and she was built in Belfast. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she was originally laid down as HMS Powerful, as a straight deck carrier. Okay. Um, was never got to be commissioned. Powerful never got to be commissioned. So the Canadian Navy was looking for a carrier, and they bought HMS Powerful from from the Belfast shipyards. And she was converted to an angle flight deck. Any idea what the cost was at that time? Oh, no idea. No idea. I do know, I, I do know that she was commissioned in, in uh, uh, I think, 57 or 55 or 57. She was decommissioned in 1970. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'll talk to you about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, she was built in the Belfast shipyards by uh, a firm called Harland and Wolf that built a lot of carriers uh, during the war. HMS Eagle uh, was the most famous of the ones built in Belfast because of, the, I guess, the role she played in Western approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. It's funny because when she was, she, the, the Canadian Navy bought her in 52, but when, like I said, when she was commissioned, I don't know. I, honestly, I think it was 57, but I'm not really sure. But I remember at, that pub at the corner of our street that I was telling you about, I remember going in there and, and asking the obviously North American guys, have you got any American money, you know? Yeah, and they would always, you know, and always, they would give you whatever change they had. I don't know what the hell I did with it. I mean, Probably the same thing I did with my own money. You pissed it yeah, away. Yeah, but I remember getting, you know, my ass kicked out of there a couple of times. And my, myself, myself and my friend Dave Turner uh, would go in there quite often, but we both got kicked out. It's funny, my Belfast friends uh, moved to Canada as well, and I last saw them in, in uh, they lived in Oshawa, uh, David and Tom Turner. Um, 
that was about 15 years after we had immigrated, and I really didn't have much to say to them. Really, yeah. You know? What? Uh, so you served twice on the Bonaventure? Yeah. First time as an, an ordinary, um, able seaman, and the second time as a petty officer. And did it have any anything to do with the Cuban Missile Crisis at the time? Yeah, it did. As, as a matter of fact, we were uh, we were doing. Uh, this is damn good whiskey. <laughs> doing a, a, a trip offshore um, in uh, in a, in the North Sea, <coughs> we've been excuse me. <laughs> we've been been to Portsmouth and and uh, and and had gone up to the North Sea. I think we crossed the Arctic Circle, and because I've got a, a crossing the Arctic Circle scroll. I take it you didn't jump off the sides and swim in the Arctic Ocean. No, <laughs> no, we did that. In, we, we've done that in uh, offshore and uh, Puerto Rican waters and down that way. Yeah, kiss a polar bear or club a baby seal, yeah. nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> but on we on the way back, we were we did uh, uh, patrol the northern northwest. I think the northwest uh, sector of the Atlantic, uh, and and. Uh, in concert with with uh, aircraft from Greenwood, our, we at that time we had our, we had Sea Kings, but also tracker aircraft, mm-hmm. and they both uh, were found submarines from the, the Russian side. In uh, in uh, so, uh, how close to Cuba were you patrolling? Oh, uh, far north, like okay. not 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 in in the cordon. So you were more. Looking they were more for looking. For, they were more looking. More looking for submarines coming down the northwest approach. Yeah. And you found a couple. Yeah. And what what resulted of that? Did you just, uh, nothing? Just reported. Just, it. They just they kept track of them. Were the Russians much more active in in our north at the time? Uh yeah. Yeah, I think this. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I had I saw, I saw a photo last. Last week, it just reminded me of how active the Soviets used to be, and it was a, a, a CF-101 underneath a Russian bear aircraft, mm-hmm. and it was, um, and I, I thought, that, and that was in the was the one one the Widowmaker, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was directly underneath it, and it was a, it was a fantastic shot. So. Yeah, I remember seeing a few of those historical shots because yeah, yeah. the Russians would come in, zip into the borders, yeah. see what our reaction yeah. time was, yeah. and yeah. piss off again. Uh, what, any other ships of a note that you were on? No, not really. No, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing when Kennedy got killed? Who? It's a funny situation. I always think Kennedy was killed on the twenty third of November. Why do you think it was twenty third? They claim Our, it's the twenty second. Yeah, it was the twenty second. Yeah. But we were on radio. We were exercising with the U.S. fleet. Um, we were on radio silence, and on the 23rd, the ship's captain piped and, and, and altered the ship that President Kennedy had been killed. At that time, I was in the, uh, the uh, sick bay on Bonaventure had a 15-bed ward and a two-bed isolation ward slash coffee room. So I was sitting in the, the coffee room with a guy called Lance Dixon, who was my divisional officer, when we heard it. And so to me, I, 
can't get out of my mind. That's the day that. Yeah. All right. Do you, Do you think there's any conspiracy or cover up to any of that? I don't know. No. Do you Do you think it was? It, can you think of any reason the government would cover it up? I I honestly don't know enough about U.S. politics at that stage. Yeah, I was just wondering if you were in touch because of your no, no, personal, no, really. personal um, uh, contact with it all, if there was any no. conspiracy theories that you laughed at or you believe that the moon landing happened? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. We're all, although we're when all you, online. Although when you drive through the Sudbury area, you begin to wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot you begin to wonder about Sudbury area. We can cut it out. You can just ask for water. Okay. Just go ahead. There's no secrets okay, can I have some water, please? <laughs> <laughs> our our uh, co-host and bartender is stepping away at the moment. She'll be right back, folks. <laughs> okay, what, what else did I have on you? Um, don't know it's all over the place. So when you... Commissioned from the ranks, mm-hmm. how, how many years in did you have at that point? 20, exactly. 20? How many years did you serve altogether? 37. Jesus. So, I take it you had jumped ship, so to speak, to the Army at that time? Again, what happened, <laughs> I, I was serving on Bonaventure after the, after the refit. We were out in the middle of the arse of nowhere, and I was reading the ship's orders, for that day, I forget, you know, what day it would be. And I noticed that they had stood up, just stood up. This is So this was 68 probably. Mm-hmm. They just stood up, the Airborne Regiment, and they were looking. Hoo-wah! <laughs> 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 I told you we'd get to work that in there. <laughs> so they just stood up the Airborne Regiment in 68, and they were looking for particularly medical personnel and supply techs for whatever reason to from any service at that time we were also in the integrated armed forces Mm -hmm. that was the hellier hellier, yeah yeah so um, i applied for it and the, the 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 flight surgeon at that time was a colonel green who had just been posted, first army guy, army doctor, of of rank, posted to see. So, um, so he he said, "Yeah, he said this will be great for you. You know, it'll be a fantastic." And, and then he started. And then when I when I applied for it, I got I was yeah. So that would be late '68 when I applied for it. I got a posting to the field ambulance in Petawawa. Where where was the uh, airborne training done at that time? Uh, Rivers. Rivers. I didn't do my training at that time. Oh no! Yeah, they were still they were still doing training at Rivers. Okay. Then. Um, so the powers that be said, "Well, you can't just come from a ship and go to a, an airborne billet," which makes sense to me. I mean, I never I had no land experience whatsoever. Yeah. So um, I was posted to. God, the, the numbers all buggered up now. Posted to the field ambulance in Petawawa, January of 1669. 
Um, and I served there until July. The night I went, <laughs> I went, so I went, went there initially for initial training. And then went to uh, a field ambulance, one field ambulance in, in Zost, Zost uh, Germany. Mm-hmm. And I went to, in, I went left to, for Germany the night after the uh, moon landing, okay. or the landing at Sudbury, whichever you <laughs> Yeah. North Bay. <laughs> Wherever they filmed it. Yeah, so um, I was fortunate to when I went to uh, one field ambulance in Germany. The, um, my, the I took over three field uh, three ambulance platoon, and the fellow, the officer in charge was a guy called um, Gorgeous George. George Moore, and we called him Gorgeous George, of course, because he looked like he had permed his hair in the tight curls, and he was a jumper. You know, and the, at <laughs> <Ooh, wow. laughs> and they were still wearing brown boots or or maroon ox blood, maroon ox blood colored boots, and yep. everything else at that time. Anyway, he he said, "Okay, I'm going to teach you all the things you need to know about airborne deployments," and he did. He taught me. He was fastidious with map map reading and everything, yep. everything, and I uh, really appreciated. And I also worked with a little Scottish guy called Stan Welsh, Master Corporal. He was Master Corporal, mm-hmm. and he was fantastic as well. He had been, uh, before he came to Canada, he had been with the Royal Highland Light Infantry in Scotland. So uh, so you got you got some uh, teaching points from, from some infantry guys? Yeah, exactly. And then how long before you were actually doing the course? What did the course consist oh, of at that time? Didn't do the course until '74, I think, and then it was in Edmonton. Yeah, and it was the normal grind. Was it three weeks long? <laughs> it felt like a year. <laughs> I, 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 I know the feeling. Yeah, I think I think it was around three or four weeks. Yeah. yeah. Was Rosalind still? Uh, was it? It was. Time? It was. Uh, the Roslyn, are you aware of the Roslyn? Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I knew of it when I was a civvy. And when I was a civvy, I ended up in the Roslyn a couple times, and it was a dirty, greasy bar. I loved it. And uh, it wasn't until later on that I real- found out that the Airborne was frequently drinking there. Well, that's because I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to earn my wings. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because when I finally moved to Edmonton, the house I lived in was 97... 13, 137th Avenue, which was in a direct line from the Roslyn Hotel to the men's barracks. And so until they got their own place, uh, two medics called um, Glenn Thomas. Oh, yeah. And... uh, and Bratzer used to stop off on a Friday night after being at the Roslyn, which my then wife did not appreciate at all. 
His uh, then wife. Yeah. At least he doesn't refer to you as his current wife. <laughs> well, I don't know how else to put it. I don't, I don't like second saying ex-wife, then wife. So anyway, you uh, jumped out of airplanes, mm-hmm. got your wings first course. Mm-hmm. Well, it took me twice. There you go. <laughs> no, no horn. <laughs> no horn. I got the horn that time. <laughs> That little French guy that landed on top of me, uh, he broke his femur and I just broke my ankle. Oh, okay. So, uh, but he was screaming. But <laughs> it's funny because I swear to this day, when I looked up, there was a Sartak on a white horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you laugh, <laughs> but I, I'm still convinced. Everybody says there's no fucking Sartaks on white horses anywhere in Canada. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> he didn't help me out, but he was there. <laughs> I was a little shook up, I think. <laughs> yeah. And then I actually met the RSM Leach. You, you know uh, uh, George Leach? Yeah. Yeah. I met him when he became RSM at 3RCR. He got tangled up in my uh, chute. My <laughs> chutes collapsed and uh, hit the, ba- the the deck like a bag of hammers. It was, it was miserable. What was your worst jump? My worst jump was we're jumping otter, <clears throat> single-engine otter. Went out, went out third, I think, third or third or fourth. And, you know, there was, you did your course in Edmonton as well? Yeah. The, um, the TDMs, the um, ammunition depot was right right beside the drop zone. Yeah, I don't know where you were. And it had an electrified fence around it <laughs> and power lines running through it. And uh, I slipped through the wire. Vaporized the chute. It was raining, so I was sort of, and I was wearing gloves. <clears throat> so I'm lying there, looking up at the chute that didn't want to move. So I thought, well, I'll reach for my cape wells. I'll cut away. Fuck. <laughs> cape, wells, cape wells are wet. <laughs> it's okay. You're wearing gloves. Fuck, they're wet. <laughs> you know, and then finally I realized that there's no power anymore. <laughs> So I just cut myself away. When I got up, George um, John McElroy was the was an older sergeant. He was DZ medic that day. Yeah, and he shouts, "Jesus! I thought we had an opening in the branch." <laughs> 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 but the uh, the unit planning officer, uh, the unit planning sergeant major, was. I can't remember his name. It, the guy we met in Ottawa, the big guy you like. <laughs> Is there someone other than me, Charlene? <laughs> there may be. Uh, anyway, he said, you've got to get, okay, get on the aircraft, do it again. So I did right away. But that was the worst jump I ever had. Yeah. I, Man. I crashed into people a couple of times, but that's normal shit. Yeah, I landed in trees. Yeah. But, uh, we we were jumping to Montana for the 50th anniversary of the first special service force. And I'm getting dressed on the DZ because that's the only place you get dressed. And the boys come up. There was cactus out on the DZ. Yeah. <laughs> so the guys were coming up to me. Hey, Doc, can you take out these uh, spines out of my ass? Yeah. <laughs> With what? My teeth? <laughs> I, got, you know, I got no gear here. I'm jumping just like, go see an ambulance guy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this all sounds... 
it's all petty shit when you think of what the guys went through are going through in Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah. They said that. But I mean, it was, it was what it was. Um, it was at times. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely uh, a way to yeah. get over your fear. So the, the, one with, <laughs> the one with the most stupidest casualties ever was a jump into Borden we did. Yeah. And it was poison ivy all through the DZ. And we had hundreds of guys with fucking poison ivy rash. Couldn't buy cortisone cream fast enough to. Yeah. My my. Well, yeah, it would be my first, my person, my most, uh, my favorite uh, poison ivy story was uh, we were in Meaford, the Airborne Regiment. <laughs> we were, we were, we were in Meaford training the uh, the militia. And some poor militia girl hooked up with a guy from one commando, the French guys, no sound charges for them. And uh, he had uh, gotten together with this young lady and uh, deflowered her. But uh, (laughs) you never get to say deflowered anymore. (laughs) Anyway, and uh, it, it was unfortunately in a patch of poison ivy. So she had bad poison ivy throughout her uh, personal parts, as well as a case of yeah. venereal disease, which she uh, passed on to her. So it's an unfortunate... A lucky girl. All yeah. she was... Oh, she was crying. Oh, man. Yeah. She was a mess. So uh, was that your favorite uh, posting then? Was the Airborne Regiment? No, my favorite posting was Halifax. Just because... It was the right time in Halifax. Um, I was commissioned in... Sixty nine. No, what are we talking about? Seventy nine. It was a double promotion. Okay, the I was on top of the merit list for promotion to MWO. So, the career manager and the commander of the Airborne Regiment, I think, made a deal that. They would promote me to MWO for one day so that I could then get away with without going to CFOX yeah. and go directly to the rank of captain. So CFOX would have taken you away and given you... Yeah, CFOX, I would have gone out in a tennis qualifying course. And what did CFOX stand for? Canadian Forces... Occupational. Uh, no, it's Officer Training. I forget. I forget the, what the acronym stood for at that time. You know, I'm freaking 80 years old. I can't remember everything. <laughs> if I'm putting you know, too almost, much pressure on you, yeah. just let me know, old timer. We'll let you have your nap. Almost 80. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you kids, get off my lawn. <laughs> no, actually. Yeah, the, it's a crusty old guy's back again. Uh, the, he was just like this the other day. <laughs> One moment he's fine, next thing he's a crusty old bastard again. So we just start talking about being an officer. Yeah, yeah. So actually, uh, my first posting um, as an officer was still to the airport because I was promoted, went to staff school, came back, and Colonel Payne showed um, Hotbread, who was the commander of the regiment then. So he welcomed me back as an officer, said, you can buy me a drink at the mess. I drink a whole bottle of wine. This is what I drink. Yeah. 
So I had to buy him a bottle of wine. And then, then he said, we've got a job for you, and that's to be the planner for the next bivouac, which is this summer. So that was my first job. That was a shitload of work. Yeah, it was. It was. It went off without a hitch? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I just, did the, I just did the planning for all the guys coming in and all that sort of shit. And, yeah. and uh, the, the unit and planning officers did the manifesting and all that sort of stuff. So um, I do remember that the, hard, the hardest part was trying to get through to the, the guys from one commando that people were coming who were of significance and importance, and we had special accommodation for them. Mm-hmm. You know, we had doctors coming that had made the jumps at Dives Crossing. Yeah. Um, you know, Which, for those that don't know, was an important uh, um, part of the invasion of Italy. Uh, Germany. Sorry, Germany. <laughs> <laughs> one of those one of those war countries. <laughs> Not Anzio. <laughs> Dives. <laughs> yeah, so... No, no charge there. <laughs> yeah, so... Like General General Von Vernon was put in a comp, uh, was was put in uh, I think one of the barracks. <laughs> it was about forty thousand other guys there. And uh, when I talked, to I I see him the next morning, and I said, "How are you doing, General? I, did you? Because I specifically went and briefed him where the old where the MP shack used to be is where they put the duty airborne." welcoming guy. Right. And I'd specifically talked to him and said, this general's coming in. Make sure he, you know, he used to be the CEO of, of uh, two commando. Yeah. So put him in... Cupid's Nest or something. Cupid's Nest. That's because yeah. we had accommodation for these guys. Same with the Germans. Uh, the German staff represented coming over. I said, make sure the German goes there. <laughs> and they didn't. They put him in barracks. Oh, just to be bastards. Yeah, so I, well, just because they're stupid. Oh. <laughs> well, they're stupid bastards. They can yeah, be both. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we got, it's a small thing. We got that sorted out. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the yeah, general. Uh, G- general Vernon was the one that was, I think, he felt really shitty about what happened to the airborne. Yeah. Because uh, the last time I saw him, he was outside in DMC. On his bike, uh, I was going in there for an appointment, and I said, "How are you doing, General?" And uh, he said, "I feel like the medical branch has really fucked me." Yeah, and I think they really did. Yeah. Why? Why do you think they fucked him, or how do you think they fucked? Well, him? he was the one that he ended up being a bad guy. Yeah, when he wasn't even in Somalia. Yeah, and uh, it just. There were plenty of bad guys oh, to go around. They didn't have to. They, yeah, they didn't yeah. have to pick on yeah. somebody like him. Anyway, although our minister of defense at the time, she definitely didn't get her to, out of the deal. Hmm. What was her name? Uh, she, she, uh, she posed in her judge robes, off the shoulder, kind of a risque pose. What the hell was her name? Hmm. Yeah, Campbell? Kim Kim Campbell. Yeah, the LSV, yeah, for a short time, yeah, and but at the time she was defense minister when the uh, the Shiloh thing was or the um, Somalia thing was going on. Yeah, that was a that was a, 
Well, we, let's not get into that. We could, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, then we get into the effects of Mefflicum and, and, and everything else. So, so. so, what kind of advice? You mentioned you are an old guy. Well, you said you were 80, 83, did you say? No, 80 in September. Oh, 80 in September. <laughs> well, you're not looking the day over 79. <laughs> You see me walking? <laughs> well, you're doing better than me. <laughs> I, I want to know what your secret is. So, so what is your secret? What what did, what uh, advice do you have? You're a old guy, and I say that with respect. Um, what what kind of what kind of advice do you have for a young soldier coming up, mm. or young anybody coming up? Do everything you can as early as you can, because once you start getting injured or once life starts giving you bad side effects, it's too late to do stuff. So quit fucking worrying about your rent. Yeah. Keep, keep that aside, but make sure you go out and see shit. Yeah. Do stuff. Yeah. Visit Ireland. Yeah. You know, I have, a, I have <laughs> one brother-in-law, or an ex-brother-in-law, no longer a brother-in-law. Um, the first wife's brother? No, no, no. Uh, one of Charlene's uh, sisters is no longer with him. Okay. He used to say, we'd say, why don't you come with us to Europe? Nah, he said, that's what old people do that. I'll do that when I'm old. Well, you know what? It doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, I, I would echo those words as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I had myself pictured doing a hell of a lot more traveling, but life. Yeah. So it's a curve at you every now and then. So what else? You must have a tidbit or two of information. I've climbed up to the mountaintop here to, <laughs> to see the sage old guy. <laughs> oh, gee, I, I just, uh, for, for the, guy, the guys in the parachute regiment, uh, or parachute positions, record all your injuries. Make sure that you yeah. keep track of them because later on when they start hurting. Yeah, you, you think you can shake it off now and yeah. you don't want to get marked as yeah. somebody who's weak. Yeah. But get that paperwork yeah in there even if it's minor shit yeah I definitely yeah. agree with you you I know, stub your toe get it in there because somewhere along the line it's going to hurt when you land on a bad jump yeah I've, I've told my sister that we were doing this so I'm, what I'm going to say is honest she actually called me a wimp yesterday <laughs> why did she call you a wimp well she said because I was talking about my upcoming surgery if it ever gets here and, and how much trouble I was having Getting around now, and she said, oh, "You're just becoming a wimp." How old is she? <laughs> she's five years younger than me. Oh, she's spring chicken. Yeah, <laughs> and she's very fit. So, and so, how long have you two been married now? Thirty-one. 30, no, we're going on thirty-two years. Yeah. So what? What would you? Uh, and so most of that was while he was in the service. Good yeah. talk of it. What would you? Uh, what kind of advice would you give to a married couple? Say two guys have just moved in together and they've started a home. We lived. We lived together for a long time before we got married. So. In sin. In, in sin. sin. Yes. Should have known right away you weren't Catholic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say uh, don't bring your troubles home with you, and. But how do you leave your troubles at, at the office? It's, it's hard to do. Yeah. Very hard to do. I mean, I think you should bring your troubles home, have sex, and that kind of yeah. takes care of the troubles. 
that always helps. Yeah. 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 <laughs> one one time, one time we had an argument, and it and it, I don't know what I honestly don't know what it was about. It was something stupid. Some, <laughs> something she knows what it was something about. stupid the nurse brought up. <laughs> anyway, I guarantee we, you we, and I don't know what it was, but our wives know what yeah. it was. We didn't talk for three days. So finally, I thought, this is fucking stupid. It's got to end this. So I opened the cupboard up and lined all the cans up. And uh, we just watched that movie. Oh, Sleeping with the Enemy. Sleeping with the Enemy. <laughs> so. Well, that reminds me. Yeah, I got to talk to you, pal. <laughs> when, when she came home and she opened the cupboard up, she started laughing, and that, that ended the argument. That ended the argument. Yeah. Yeah, if you can try to find some humor in it, for yeah. sure. But we were lucky. I mean, we were posted. We met at the school, and uh, 81 was the first time I saw her. 82, we got together. Um, we were posted to Halifax, which, as I said, that was a, my best posting, because from a work perspective, I, I was uh, the, the, uh, the liaison between Defence Construction Canada and the new hospital they were building mm-hmm. and I was shocked because when I joined the Navy and first went to hosp- first went to Royal Canadian Naval Hospital Halifax they were talking about we're going to get the new hospital next year Yeah, so we're talking now 20 years later and they're finally going to get the hospital <laughs> Yeah, so they built this beautiful hospital um, with no way, way to handle Patient care. Yeah. And then then it became not a hospital. Yeah. It's now a headquarters for an administrative. And we don't have a we don't have a military hospital at all. So. Nope. So and then after that I took over as the XO of the hospital. So or the DCOXO of the hospital. All right. So your advice in summation is to uh, do as much as you can. Well, you're young and healthy. Don't wait for the potential. Yeah, exactly. Bird in the hand is worth two in the exactly. bush kind of thing. Exactly. And Charlene, what would you sum up with? Basically the, the same thing that we're of like minds that do what you can when you can because you never know what's in store for you tomorrow. So yeah. how the hell did you end up with this guy? It's not exactly a leprechaun, but he's... <laughs> <laughs> He just... Just charmed you. He just charmed me, I guess, yes. <laughs> he, he does have a reputation as being charming. Yeah. But he's also got a reputation as being pugnacious. <laughs> so and, the uh, two balance him out, I guess. Yes. All right. Well, uh, that's it. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Well, thanks for coming to Rockus Bacchus. <laughs> and uh, it's good to have somebody in. I usually do this over the phone. Um so uh, thanks to the two or three of you that are occasionally listening to this. Um, if you want to get a hold of uh, anybody I'm t- speaking to, you can do so through me, Steve C. Copang at gmail.com. That's Sierra Tango Echo Victor Echo Charlie Kilo Oscar Papa Papa Alpha November Golf at gmail.com. So um, I would just in summation say definitely don't put off today what, what you, you can do. Go out, get your adventures, see the countries you want to see, go fly fishing, um, 
to have sex in an elevator. Just whatever it is you want to do, do it now. Yeah, or wherever. Or <laughs> or wherever. <laughs> I don't know why the elevator. <laughs> I don't have any particular kinks about elevators. Greyhound buses or something. All right, guys. Thanks for coming out. And the dramatic music. <laughs> I love that piece of music. Yes.